Hi, everybody. Can you hear me? Just want to make sure. Hi. Thanks for your flexibility today. I am uh, coming to you from my quarantine room, so uh, thanks. Uh, I've been waiting to pre preach a Christmas sermon for a while. Now, I've written ones during Advent and Epiphany. I've covered Mary's glorious song and thought about John the Baptist, but I wondered why we never actually have this familiar Luke passage in Advent. Well, turns out, uh, in case you were like me and didn't know, because for every year of lectionary text, this passage is only for Christmas Day or Christmas Eve services, which many churches don't actually have, including Milwaukee Mennonite. So this year, I just decided I was going to change the scriptures for today and drag y'all back with me into Christmas. So thanks for all of you for playing along. This is the only biblical account that we have of Jesus' birth. Mark doesn't talk at all about Jesus' childhood. John is focused on Jesus as God. And Matthew gives us Jesus' genealogy and history and just says that Jesus was born, although he does give us the story of the wise men. It's only here in Luke that we hear a specific story about the events surrounding Jesus' birth. So there's only one viewpoint here and only one version that we have read to us. And it's really familiar to us. Many of you who are listening probably recite parts of it from memory. We all know Quirinius, who was governor of Syria, right? But I think there's value every once in a while in, of examining those things that we know and love and know by heart. The 23rd Psalm, the Lord's Prayer, the Christmas story, and looking for what it might have felt like to hear it for the first time. So today I'm going to think through this scripture again and give you my questions and ideas, and I hope this message sparks some thoughts for you too. Before we begin, I want to tell you about a play. As you might know already, my son John was in the show, The Best Christmas Pageant Ever, this November and December. Rehearsals started in October, and the show ran from Thanksgiving weekend through Christmas Eve. John was often in five to six shows per week. Of course, Peter and I, trying to be supportive parents, bought tickets and signed up for volunteering, knowing that we'd be totally sick of the show by the end of the run. We did end up seeing the show about 10 times each, and honestly, I was not sick of it by the end, in part because it was just really fun, but mostly because it helped bring an unexpected freshness to this Christmas story. The play, The Best Christmas Pageant Ever, is based on a book by the same name written in the 1970s about a small town Christmas pageant in a church full of nice, polite people. The nice, polite people are overwhelmed when a rowdy family of six kids, the Herdmans, who are mostly left without parental supervision, show up for the first rehearsal of the pageant because they think there are snacks involved. They hilariously sign up for the roles of Joseph, Mary, the three wise men, and the angel of the Lord. Chaos ensues. But the Herdmans had also never heard the Christmas story before, and so everything was new to them. And as children do, they asked amazing questions, and it got me thinking too. So let's take the first few verses of the Christmas story again. Think about what images these lines bring to mind for you. These are verses one through seven. In those days, the decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and it was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged, 
and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. As John was reading that scripture, what images did you see in your mind? Maybe Joseph leading a calm donkey, Mary seated gracefully on its back, making its way down a rocky road. That's often what I think about. But I just sort of wanted to give us a little picture of what the reality is. Nazareth is in the northern end of what we now know as Israel-Palestine, and is the town where Joseph and Mary were living and where Jesus grew up. Bethlehem is outside of Jerusalem, near to the Dead Sea. They're about 90 miles apart following roads that exist today. I googled, how long would it take to ride a donkey from Nazareth to Bethlehem? And the internet said that if you travel 20 miles per day, it would be a four to five day journey as the crow flies. Now, if you've ever known someone who is near the end of their pregnancy, you know that they are not generally the most comfortable or the most pleasant. Long car rides are uncomfortable. So I can't quite imagine what it was like to ride a donkey for four days, just to get to the place where you could register in the first census. I wonder what Joseph and Mary's conversation was like on that ride. I wonder if the journey took longer because they needed breaks. I wonder if the donkey cooperated. And then getting to the end of the road and finding a town so full of people coming to be registered, there wasn't even a place to stay. The scripture doesn't say anything about an innkeeper, even though the image of an innkeeper figures into my mental pictures of this story. Were Mary and Joseph camping out on the side of the road? Was there really a kind person who offered a barn as a place for them to stay, or did they need to sneak in a back door? In the best Christmas pageant ever, when Imogene Herdman, who plays Mary in the pageant, heard this part of the story, she shrieks, so she had her baby in a barn, wrapped him up in wadded up clothes, and put him in a feed box? Where was her social worker? And I mean, she's not wrong. A young couple, tired from a long journey without a place to stay, finds themselves tired and dirty, resting on a pile of hay in a barn made warm by the presence of animals. They get comfy and find a spot that doesn't itch too much. And then labor starts. Now, I could get all nerdy about birth here because it's a really amazing thing, but my family will roll their eyes a bit too hard, so I'll keep it short. Here's the thing. Birth is amazing and beautiful and life-changing, but birth is also hard and messy and sometimes scary. I can't imagine what it must have been like to not only give birth in a barn, but in a strange place where the only person Mary knew was her husband, who wasn't even the father of this baby. Was there a midwife who attended her? Was it just Mary and Joseph figuring it all out? How long did she labor? Some women are calm and collected and sing their babies into the world. Others curse and thrash and shout. What was Mary like in labor? How did Joseph do in supporting her? And then they found the feed box to be the best place for a cradle, laying their newborn among animal feed. Maybe a little bit different than what I've imagined. So now let's hear a little more of the scripture. These are verses 8 through 15. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, watching over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David 
a savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Beth Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. The countryside around Bethlehem is rocky. The hills have sparse grassland, and the landscape is just a lot of stones. Shepherds would have had to travel a long distance to make sure that their livestock had enough to eat. There is some debate among biblical scholars on who these shepherds actually were. Some people think they were the poor, were poor country bumpkins scratching out a living on the earth, the original least of these that Jesus appeared to. Others say that their social status was actually much higher, and I even read one interpretation that said perhaps they were actually members of the temple, keeping watch over the animals that were to be offered as sacrifices. So I'm not exactly sure who these shepherds were, but we do know some things. First, we know that they were out in the fields having a routine night on the job when they heard and saw an angel of the Lord, and they were terrified. Often when angels uh, appear in scripture, their first words are some variation of be not afraid, which means, leads me to believe that seeing an angel is not a warm, fuzzy experience. Are they non-human creatures? Is there bright light and overwhelming noise? Are they menacing? Or are they something like Gladys Herdman who galloped on stage in a football helmet covered in lights, brandishing a star on a stick and forcing the reluctant shepherds follow her to where the baby was? She shouted at them, Shazam, unto you a child is born. Whatever angels are like, these shepherds were afraid. And then there was a whole host of angels, not just one, praising God, and filling the night sky with words and song. What did the shepherds do with the night sky suddenly bright? When the angels had left, what were they thinking? How did they process with each other? Because another thing we know about them is that they were chosen as the first people to know about the birth of Jesus, the savior of the world. King Herod wasn't chosen. The priests in the temple weren't chosen. The rich merchants weren't chosen. It was the shepherds in the field at nighttime who were visited by the angels before anyone else even knew that this baby had been born in a barn after a long and tiring journey. And the third thing we know is that the shepherds believed what they had seen. They conferenced after the angels had left and decided, yes, let's go. They were given a choice here. They weren't transported directly to the barn and they accepted the invitation. They showed up to see this newborn baby. Again, back to the scripture. These are verses 16 through 20. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her, her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. The shepherds went with haste. I wonder if they arrived even that same night or within a few days of the birth. 
I wonder how Mary and Joseph felt about having a bunch of strangers descend on them in the immediate postpartum period. And I wonder how the shepherds felt when they saw that their supernatural experience with the angels was actually true, when they actually found a baby in a manger, as they'd been told. And then the shepherds went out and told everyone. They didn't hide their experience. They became the first evangelists of Christ's life and shared the remarkable experience they'd had in the fields with angels and in the barn with a baby. They shared what they had seen and the people they told heard and believed. And Mary pondered these words in her heart. I love that phrase, pondered them in her heart. I wonder if she had ever doubted that her encounter with an angel was something she'd imagined, if she ever wondered if she actually was going to be the mother of the Savior. So when the shepherds showed up with an angelic encounter, being told to come see this baby, I wonder if she felt in a way validated. I wonder if she was overwhelmed, if she needed some time to think these amazing events through. The immediate postpartum period is a wash of love, pain, hormones, and being far from home, living in a barn, and visited by shepherds probably didn't help much. I love that the scripture here gives a line that focuses on Mary, who is considering the things being said about her baby, treasuring them, and thinking about them. The best Christmas pageant ever's first act ends with a chaotic scene. The herdmans find out about Herod, the king who is out to kill the baby Jesus because he's worried that Jesus will be more powerful than he is. The herdmans wonder why Herod isn't a part of the pageant. Then they rouse all the other kids into an incredible frenzy that ends in a song with lyrics that include, die, Herod, die. The church ladies are appalled. The pastor shuts the whole thing down. The pageant has lost its sweetness. And I imagine that in our portrayals of the Christmas stories, we too have smoothed away some of the rough edges. I sometimes forget that these are stories of real people living real lives just like mine. And though they lived over 2,000 years ago and their lives were very different from mine, I don't want to smooth away the humanity of their lived experience. I want to ask the questions that involve the challenges they faced, trudging down a dirt path, the terror when the night sky lights up, the bewilderment of a baby blinking in a feed trough. At the end of the play, the pageant is nothing like anyone's ever experienced before. It's chaotic and unscripted and slightly dangerous. But in the end, everyone realizes that by being authentic with their questions, the herdmen have given the church an incredible gift. The Christmas story isn't about perfection. It's not only about a gently smiling Mary in a wrinkle-free blue headdress. It's about the real Mary who struggled to give birth in her barn. And it's about her husband who supported her. It's about connecting ourselves in our current life with the lives that these people lived thousands of years ago. It's about remembering that God comes to us in ways that we'd never expect. It's about terrifying encounters with angels and life-changing encounters with newborn babies. In short, the story is God's love letter to us. God's reminder that in all of our human brokenness and sinfulness and shortcomings, that God has been and always will be faithful to us. It's God, God's reminder that our questions are good, and it's God's word that we are loved unconditionally and unmistakably forever and ever, because shazam, unto us a child is born.